We're in this series uh, called Freedom, and uh, we're really taking a look at, uh, this is all based out of a book called Life's Healing Choices. Uh, and it's this idea uh, that all of us uh, struggle with uh, hurts, habits, and hang-ups, stuff uh, that we've had to deal with or continuing to deal with, uh, things that are in our life that will continue to, to come up in our life, and, and how we handle those things. Uh, we, we just have this, like, perfect guidebook, and we, we're using this uh, word called recovery as an acronym to take us through these steps of what it is to experience freedom. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we started out the, the series with uh, the, the letter R, and that, that letter really, uh, as an acronym, says that we have to realize that I am not God. And, and I don't mean that you need to realize that Ryan is not God, uh, but that, uh, because that's not hard. Uh, what you need to realize is that you are not God, that, that we are not God, and that we need help in our life, that if we're going to experience freedom uh, that, uh, from our hurts, habits, and hang-ups, that we've got to actually come to the conclusion that I can't do this on my own. I need, I need help. Uh, last week, Jeremy talked about step two, which is really this hope step. It's like, okay, I, I realize I'm not God, so where, where's my hope going to lie? And, uh, and, and Jeremy talked about the, the E of, of recovery is earnestly believing that God exists, that there is hope, and that hope is in a God who loves us and cares about us and uh, wants to see healing and freedom in our life. And uh, last week, Jeremy uh, honestly and openly just shared about uh, some of his hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And uh, man, Jeremy, I just really appreciate your honesty last week and your willingness to, uh, to be vulnerable because that's what this is, right? I mean, if, if we're being honest with ourselves and we're going to walk through this, it's going to require a vulnerability. It's going to require an honesty that uh, Jeremy modeled for us last week. And, uh, and so today we're going to look at the third step in uh, the recovery process. We're going to take a look at the, the letter C. And this is in your notes. It's, uh, it's to consciously, consciously choose to commit all of my life and my will to Christ's care and control. That's a big, long point with a bunch of fill-ins, I think, in your, in your deal, but it's essentially saying, okay, God, I realize that I've been trying to do this on my own. I've been white-knuckling this thing, this hurt, this habit, this hang-up, whatever the case. I've been trying to, to, to just press on and, and will my way through it, and I recognize that I can't do it on my own. Because as we learned about in week one, that if, if you could get through this on your own, you already would have, right? It already would be done. If you could just will yourself to be done or, or to be over it and to be healed and to experience freedom, we would already be there. Instead, every year we come to this new season of life, we come to this new year and we set these resolutions, we set these commitments and this is the year that I'm going to overcome this thing in my life. This is the year I'm gonna get rid of that habit. This is the year that I'm gonna experience freedom in Christ. And we set resolutions and we set commitments and now here we are in week three and I'm just wondering how those are going. Because all the statistics say is by week six, your resolutions, they're toast. 
because we can't will ourselves in isolation on our own, in our own ability to accomplish those things. We need something outside of ourselves, and that something is we're going to experience this, this morning is God. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many of us this morning, maybe walked in here this morning, are, are experiencing weariness? Maybe you're experiencing being overwhelmed or burdened with this life that we live in. This, maybe you're feeling burdened by whatever hurt or habit or hang-up that you have in your life, like, you walk in here, and, and honestly, let's just, let's just really get down to it. Honestly, we, we, we paint a good face, and, and some of you literally paint a good face when you come here, and we put on a smile, and we pretend like everything's okay. I don't have any hurts. I don't have any hang-ups. I'm fine. I'm really doing okay, but there's a weariness, because what causes weariness? In our life, what, what causes us to come to this place where we just get tired? It's oftentimes because we are burdened by unhealthy practices. We're burdened by the things that we've allowed, whether it's a lack of margins and so we're just overworking or, or we don't have any uh, boundaries in, in our eating and so we're overeating or we're over drinking or we're overdoing all of this stuff and, it's, and we want to not be that way, but we continue to be that way and so in our effort to white knuckle it and to overcome it on our own, we get tired of doing it by ourselves. And Jesus says to us, come to me. Don't, don't go to some self-help group. Don't go to Oprah. Don't go to any of these other things. I didn't mean to lump her in the same, but maybe I did. So don't, don't do all of these other things. I want you to come to me because I can give you rest. It's God's invitation to us. It, 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 his invitation will make our life easier. It will lighten our load. It will give us relief. It'll give us rest. We'll have a, a rejuvenation in our life. God says to us, give me control of your life and watch what I will do. Life will become easier. It'll become less stressful. Now, who doesn't want that? I mean, I don't know of, of too many people in this world that would hear that. Hear, hey, listen, this morning, I have a solution that would give you rest, rejuvenation, would lighten your burden that you walked in here with. I don't think any of us would say, oh, I'm good. Like, I like the weight. It keeps me balanced. Like, like nobody would say that. Everybody, we would be like, here, take the burden, take the weight. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Now, it doesn't say that life will be easy. It doesn't say that. It just says that Scripture tells us that, uh, that his yoke is easy, his burden is light, that he will be able to take that weight, he will take our anxiousness, he'll take our worry from us. Nobody would turn that down. 
but there's something that keeps us from taking it. It's because we've heard this before, probably. If you've, if you've been around the church at all, maybe, maybe you haven't been around the church. It's the first time you've ever heard this, uh, this verse. And so for you, this is good news. For others of us, we've heard this. And yet there's something that keeps us from taking this gift. There's, it's almost like it's an unwrapped gift. It's like Jesus is saying to us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we're like, we have the gift. We know that if we come to him, we know that he can, he can give us rest. But we're like, I don't, I, I just, it's too much work to unopen it. There's something about it that keeps us procrastinating, keeps us from giving our problems to God, and it's delaying the surrender of our life to the care and control of Christ. So what are the things that keep us from that? Well, we've got, uh, I believe, about five things for you this morning. The first is pride. Nobody wants to admit this because it's pride, right? It's, it's prideful. I, I don't want to admit it. I don't want to admit that I need to ask God for help. Psalm chapter 40, verse 13 says, problems far too big for me to solve. Oh, excuse me. Proverbs 18, 12 says, arrogant people are on the way to ruin because they won't admit it when they need help. Guys, we are to God what we are to our spouse when we are lost. We don't ask for directions. We don't admit that we need help. Right? Hey Siri, can you know my wife's freaking out? Can you just get us directions to the place? I know how to get there. She's just freaking out that we can't get there. Right? It, there's this pride that is within us that keeps us from admitting that maybe I can't white knuckle this thing. Maybe I can't do this on my own. Instead, I need to actually admit that I need help. There's another translation that says the self-sufficient fool falls flat on his face. So maybe we're not ready to take this step. Maybe, maybe we're not ready to say, okay, God, I give control to you. I give you all of my, uh, control. I give all control and care of my life to you today. Maybe we're not ready yet to do that. And maybe it's because we just need a larger dose of pain. Because that's really ultimately what it takes, where our pain is so strong that we're willing to do whatever it takes and we're willing to say, God, I need you. Isaiah chapter 9 says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In other words, when we get to that place where we're willing to wave the white flag and we're willing to say, I am sick and tired of coming to another year and not seeing this thing gone in my life. I'm sick and tired of coming to another year and continuing to experience the hurt of my past. When we're willing to say, God, I am sick and tired of doing this on my own, I surrender to you. That scripture says there will be no more gloom in our life. That's the promise. The second thing is guilt. Guilt says, I'm ashamed to ask God for help. So pride says, I'm, I'm too arrogant to ask God for help. Guilt says, I'm ashamed to ask him for help. Now we can get to Psalm 40. It says, problems far too big for me to solve are piled higher than my head. Meanwhile, my sins, too many to count, have caught up with me, and I'm ashamed to look up. 
Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever even come, come in here on a Sunday morning and the words are up on the screen and we're worshiping God and we're singing songs of praise to him and yet we come in with so much guilt that we can't even lift our eyes to look at the screen and read the words because there's just shame. God, I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving to be in here. We, we walk in with a, a heaviness, a guilt because of what we've done or maybe what we're doing. How many of you have ever, like me, made promises to God that you can't keep? God, if, if you just get me out of this situation, I promise, I promise I'll go to China. I promise I'll do anything. I promise I'll give up this. I promise I won't do that. And we break promise after promise. He's not looking for promises from us. He's already promised us that he has forgiven us. We don't have to live under the guilt and the condemnation. We get to come to a heavenly father who loves us and has forgiven us. There's no sin that God cannot forgive. So don't let pride or guilt keep you from this step of surrendering everything, this consciously committing your life to to the control and care of Jesus and don't let fear, because fear says I'm afraid of what I'd have to give up. There's a story about a guy who, uh, he falls off a cliff. That's it, that's the story. I mean, he just falls off, no, I'm just kidding. He, he falls off a cliff, it's story over. Uh, he falls off a cliff, and about halfway down, he sees this, 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 this tree sticking out, and he grabs hold of the roots, and it just is like this visual picture of, of Tommy Boy, you know, hold on, little roots, and, and he's holding on, and he looks down, and he's got 500 feet down, and he looks up, he's, he's got 500 feet up, and he's freaking out, and he yells out, is anybody there? Can anybody save me? And all of a sudden, in that moment, he hears the voice of God, and, and God says, let go, I'll catch you. And he looks down again, he looks back up. Is there anybody else there? Because we're afraid. We're afraid to let go. We're afraid to, to release and let God move in our life. We don't trust that he's going to catch us. We don't trust that, that we won't die. God ends up being our last resort because we're too afraid to let go. We're afraid of what we might have to give up. Some of us are hanging on for dear life to the branch, trying to put off this perception that everything's okay. It's like, how crazy is that? You're 500 feet down, 500 feet up. I'm good. No problems. Nothing to see here. I'm fine. That's, that's crazy. You clearly are not. And, and so yet there's something of fear that keeps us from admitting, I need help. So what is it that we're afraid of when we commit our life to Christ? What are we afraid of, uh, afraid will happen if we give God control and care of our life? And you say, well, I don't, I don't know if I really want anybody controlling me. I got out of a controlling relationship. I certainly don't want to go into one. 
I, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want anybody or anything controlling me. And I would just say to that, who are we kidding? We're being controlled all the time. The difference is, is that we get to choose who is controlling us, right? We get to, we get to decide, you know what, God, I'm going to let you be, control, be in control of my life. But we're controlled. We're controlled by the opinions of others. We're controlled by our habits. We're controlled by uh, maybe our uh, parents who brought us up. Uh, we're, we're controlled by all of these things in life. Really what we get to do is we get to decide, okay, God, I'm going to let you be in control of my life. You know what freedom is, right? I mean, freedom is, is choosing who controls you. That when you give your life in care and control to Christ, he actually sets you free. Scripture says that those who, are, who sin are, are slave to sin, but if you know the truth, guess what? The truth is going to set us free. And Jesus says, I set you free. Bob Dylan got this. If he can get it, we can get it. Right? I mean, Bob Dylan says, you're going to serve somebody. You might as well choose who that's going to be. Because it might be your ego. It might be... Uh, a relationship that you're codependent upon. It might be this, it might be that, but you're going to be controlled. You're going to serve something. It could be your job. Why not choose who's going to control your life? So what is it that we're holding on to? What is it that we think that if I surrender control and care over to, to God, what is it that we're going to lose? Is it going to be a relationship? Is it going to be an ambition that you're striving towards? Is it going to be a habit in your life? Is there something that, that you just are, that you have in your life? You're like, I don't know if I, I want to give that up. Is it a lifestyle? Is it a, a possession? What is it in your life that you're too afraid to, to give over to God because you, you just don't know if you can really let it go? Matthew 8, 36 says, how does a man benefit if he gains the whole world and loses his soul in the process? Is there anything worth more than his soul? And the answer to that question is no. See, when we take this third step, we give up everything. And and when we give up everything, we've never had it so good. But we're afraid. See, we've never had it so good because what he does is he takes it. He takes what you've given him. And he turns it around. He adds to it. He adds new meaning to it. He adds new significance, new vitality. He, he gives it back to you in a whole new way. And so if we've, if we've ever been afraid to open up our life to the care and control of Jesus because he, he might make us some fanatic, some Jesus freak or, or, or something, or I might have to give something up, 
I would just say, don't worry about all of that stuff. Just come to a place. This step is about action. It's about coming to the place where we just say, okay, I recognize that you are in control. Just come to God. And say, God, I don't even know what I want to give up. I don't know what it is in my life that I'm holding on to, but I do know that I want to be under your care and I want to be under your control. And so here's a blank check. What would that be like if we just wrote God a blank check to our life and say, God, I'll give you all of me? Worry is the next thing that keeps us from surrendering our life to the care and control of Jesus, we, we confuse the decision phase with the problem-solving phase. So we think, well, I'll give control and care over to God once I understand what all of that means and once I know what I'm going to have to give up and once I have all of the answers. I'm not, I'm not even sure about all of the details. Once I have all the details, then I'll give control and care over my life. The problem is, is when we worry about those things, when we confuse the decision phase with the, the problem-solving phase, it's kind of like um, in 1963 when uh, JFK announces to the world, we're going to put a man on the moon. Did he have all of the answers and all of the problems solved before he made that statement? No. NASA's at home freaking out, watching, the, watching this, saying, we're going to What? Do you, you even know what that entails? Do you even know what that means? Do you know what, how many problems there are with that statement? And the reality is, is you don't make a decision once the problems are solved. You, you make the decision and then you solve the problems. If you're a good manager, you know you never confuse decision-making and problem-solving. If you confuse them, you never make a decision because you might not ever have all of the problems figured out. See, if I open my life to the, to the care and control of Jesus, I've got doubts. I've got questions. I've got fears. I've got worries. I don't know how it's all going to work out. But I know it's the right thing. And so I'm going to do it. Uh, last March, Kelly and I made the decision to, uh, to sell our house and to buy a new house. And uh, that was an easy decision. But it wasn't the end of the process. Right? Just because we made the decision to sell a house, all of a sudden, it's not like we, they just magically, like we just transported to the new house. No, we, we had to figure out the financing. We had to figure out a U-Haul. We had to get all of you suckers to come help us move. Uh, we had to do all of these things. We had to get a change of address. We had, there was this process in place and paperwork and all of this stuff that we didn't even know about and, and all of these things that had to happen because we made the decision to sell, but then we had to go through the process. It's why when you surrender your life to Jesus, maybe for the first time, you may not have all of the answers, but it's why uh, we're starting to establish some things around here like a foundation class. Like we're just saying, hey, can you just, because you know you can't do this on your own, could we just make the decision to surrender our life to Jesus? Well, I don't know how to read my Bible. I don't know. You don't even know what to pray. I don't know how to do this. I don't, you know, that's okay. But do you know that it's right to surrender your life and care and control over to Jesus? Yeah, I do feel that. Okay, great. So let's do that. 
And now here's some opportunity for you. Here's a foundations class that's going to take you through reading the scriptures and journaling and praying and understanding what it is to live the Christian life. It's why we are getting ready to launch life groups in a couple of weeks because we know you can't live the Christian life alone. You got to be in community with people. You need people surrounding you, going the same direction, helping you with the process. There's a a theological term for this. It's called sanctification. It's a process. You don't care about the theological word, probably, but we do have to be honest and say, at the point of salvation, the point where you surrender care and control over to Jesus, it's not like all of a sudden you have it all figured out. There's a process that takes place. In World War II, uh, the Marines had this strategy for uh, taking back the Pacific. So every island that they would go to, to to take back, there was this whole military strategy, and I'm not going to go into all the details of it, but, but essentially the premise of it was they knew that if they could just establish a beachhead, like if some place on the beach of that island, they could establish a presence, they would overtake the island. They didn't have all the details figured out. They didn't know what problems they would face. They just knew if they could establish a beachhead, if they could establish a presence, they would overtake that island. And every island that they established a beachhead on, a presence, was freed. So really what we're talking about this morning is not having all of the answers to all of the spiritual uh, intricacies of who God is and all that. All we're saying is, Could you allow God to have a presence in your life? Could you allow him to establish a beachhead in your life? God says, cast all your anxiety on me. Why? Because he cares for us. He says, I care for you. I I hold you in my hand. It's like when our kids are are little and and they're crossing a busy street. What do we do? We grab their hand. I still do this with my 16-year-old son because he can't look both ways. So I grab his hand. No, I'm just kidding. But every opportunity I have to embarrass him, I take it. It's good for character and life. No, it's when our kids are little and we grab them by the hand and we walk them across the street And they may want to let go of our hand. They may want to run away, but we will hold on to their hand. Why? Because we don't want them to die. We don't want them to get hit by it because we care about our children. And that's what what God's saying is here. He's saying, I care so much for you. There are times in our life when we make decisions, God, I, I don't I don't know about this. I don't know if I want to be a believer right now. It's a little difficult holding up my my ethics, and I I may want to struggle a little bit through this. But once you've grabbed hold of the hand of the Father, the Father holds on because he cares for you. It says in Timothy, he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. God says, I do the holding on so you don't have to worry about it. Whatever God asks me to do, he'll enable me to do. Philippians 1 says that the God, our Father, who began a good work in us, will see it to completion. He'll never give up on us. The fifth thing is doubt. I want to believe, 
I just don't have the faith for it. My faith just seems so small. And could I just remind us again of the opportunity to just allow God the presence in your life and see your faith build. So what does this look like? Every, uh, most weeks we give an opportunity for people to surrender their life, uh, their, the care and control of their life over to Jesus uh, for the first time. Uh, rarely do we ever talk about like what does that actually mean? And maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you, you're like, I, I think I'm in this place. I've, I've allowed God to have a presence in my life. But that's it. You've just allowed him to have a presence in your life, but you still worry, you still fear, you're still dealing with pride, you're still not allowing him to have complete control of your life. And and so what does that look like? Well, the first is that uh, I accept God's son as my savior. And I recognize that for many of you this morning, this may seem somewhat elementary. It's like, yeah, duh, I, I do know this. But I think this is a good reminder for us. Not for us, maybe necessarily individually, because we may know it inherently, but as a reminder to put language when we're having conversations with people, when they say, what does that even mean to be a Christian? Well, first, it means to accept God's Son as my Savior. I need help. I can't be my own Savior. I need Him in my life. Scripture says that we believe in the Lord Jesus and we will be saved. What does that mean? It means... Committing as much of my life as I understand at this moment to as much of Christ as I understand at this moment. You say, well, is that good enough? I don't know. It absolutely is good enough. You're not held accountable for what you don't know. You're held accountable for what you do know. And so if I know this about my life, that I am not God, if I know that I need a Savior, I need help, and I know that Christ, my creator, God, my creator, is my savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross for me, then that much I know, and so I surrender to that. The rest, we figure out in foundations class, and Forrest has all the answers. (laughs) Number two, I accept God's word as my standard. Now, I brought my Bible this morning because typically I have my scriptures in my iPad and all that, but I just thought it might be important for you to understand that I have a Bible. And I read it, and I see it, and, but some of you are like, I don't, I don't know, pastor doesn't ever have a Bible with him, does he even love God? And Yeah, I do, and actually I have multiple of them. Uh, and so I brought it because this is the standard by which we live. And I get it. I understand that there's all, all kinds of arguments against this being our standard, right? It's antiquated. It's all of these things. And, and I just I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can allow the Bible to be my standard because of some of the things it says, right? Well, I want to tell you a story. Uh, it's a fictional story uh, that I meant to tell first service was fictional and maybe forgot. Pastors are really good about that. We come up with stories all the time. They're really just lies. But, uh, but if they get the point home, then they're, they're Christian lies, honestly. So I was thinking about like our family, that if we went to uh, uh, let's just, we'll use a fictional place like, uh, this isn't a fictional place, it exists, but uh, I would like to go back to Hawaii someday. So, you know, we decide one night, we're staying in the hotel, we're like, hey, let's go for a night swim. 
So we all get to get our swimsuits on. We go, we sneak out at night. We go find this private lagoon, climb through the fence. We go swimming. We're splashing around, all this stuff. And all of a sudden, Kelly, my wife, sees a sign that's posted there. We didn't see it when we were coming in, splashing around in the water, but she sees a sign. And the sign says, no swimming, water contaminated. That's not good. You know, we're like spitting water out of our mouth. So much fun. Now we have, an, we have a choice. We have an option here what to do with the sign. Right? We could say, well, that's dumb. That doesn't apply to us. And then keep on splashing around in the contaminated water. Throwing it in our eyes, no big deal. It's dumb. It doesn't apply to me. It's out of date. It probably was for a different time. That sign probably doesn't even matter today, even though it says the date on it, but it doesn't really, it doesn't, that, no, no, no. Those are old ways of thinking. That's probably for people who skinny dip, not people who, who go in with shorts. It's, it's, that's not, it's not for me. That doesn't apply. Or we think to ourselves, you know what? As I'm reading that sign, it says no swimming, water contaminated. I interpret that a little bit differently, right? I, I think it's probably out of context, in fact. And, I, and so when I read it, I don't see don't swim. What I see is swim. Water contaminated. Oh, I don't see contaminated. I see dirty. Oh, it's just dirty water. No big deal. And so we misinterpret the sign or, or we interpret it differently or we look at the sign and say, obviously God wants me to ignore the standard, ignore the sign because God wants me to have fun and we're having fun. I don't care if the water is contaminated. We have to have a standard by which we live. And we assume that the standard, we assume that the standard is there to ruin our fun or it's antiquated or it doesn't apply today or it's gonna be all of these rules and all of these laws when in reality, it's there to protect you. It's there to keep you healthy, to keep contaminated water out of your eyes and out of your mouth. Nobody wants that. You say, well, why? Because he's a loving God. He's a loving father who's there to protect us. Second Timothy says, all scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching the faith and correcting error, for resetting the direction of a man's life, for training him in good living. Four things that the standard is for us. It's, it's to teach us what's true. It's to make us realize, I got some contamination going on in my life. It straightens us out, is the third thing. And then the fourth thing is it teaches us what to do that's right. How to love our neighbor as ourself. How to care for people that are hurting. This is the standard by which we live. Number three, we accept God's will as our strategy. God, what do you want me to do? That should be the first question that we wake up with every single morning because obviously if the Lord woke you up this morning, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. 
that obviously means you have another day. And so if we believe that, if we believe that God has a plan and a purpose for our life, and maybe that is a struggle for some, we ought to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? As David says, I I delight to do your will. I seek first God's will. God, I'm willing to do anything, anywhere, anytime. I don't even have to understand it, but I'm living my life on your terms. I'm giving you complete care and control of my life. Number four, I accept God's power as my strength. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything God asks me with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and power. Here is the good news this morning, everybody. You don't have to rely on your strength or your power to overcome your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You have a God who through his Holy Spirit gives us Jesus Christ and says, he gives us the strength. Willpower, which is what we typically think we need, is I just need to have more discipline. I just need to be more white-knuckling, holding down. I just need willpower in my life. Well, willpower is a willingness to accept God's power. You don't need willpower. You need a willingness to accept God's power in our life. That I would say, Ryan, I I can't lead this church on my own. I can't overcome this habit in my life. I need to release control over to you, God. Uh, Pilots, I I, I like to fly, um, and I get to do that uh, often. And uh, I'm just, uh, some people hate to fly. They travel for work, and they just hate it. But I, I love, like, the science behind it. I love the technology behind it. I love different kinds of planes and sizes. My goal is to be on all different kinds of planes. And, but there's actually two ways to fly a plane. Uh, one is called IFR and the other is VFR. And you, you probably already know this, even if you don't know the technical language for it. But IFR stands for instrument flight rules, right? That you are are flying by instrument, you're really releasing control of your eyes of what you see, and you're saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release control over to the instruments. And then VFR obviously stands for visual flight rules. And every pilot is flying by one or the other. IFR is when you taxi out on a runway, you might go over to the control, power, uh, uh, control tower and you submit to the controls of the system. Right? And you say, okay, you sh- you, the, the plane's going to fly me to where I need to go. Or you submit to your own eyesight, your ability to look out the windshield and see, yeah, I, I can see where everybody's at, so I'm going to fly this thing. One day, if you fly enough, you're going to eventually hit bad weather. And you're going to get lost in some clouds. And at one point, you have to pick up the microphone and say, I need to switch over to IFR because I can't see a thing. And I don't even know if I'm upside down or which way I'm going. And so I've got to release control. All airlines fly IFR. All pros fly IFR. But a lot of amateurs fly VFR. The FAA says that a lot of these small plane crashes, many of those could have been prevented if the person in the cockpit, when they got lost in the clouds and in the weather, had simply picked up the microphone and said, 
I need help. Are they going to do that? No. You think a pilot wants to admit that he's lost when he's at 17,000 feet? Admit that he needs help? That he, that he, wants, to, he wants to control it on his own. He wants to be his own boss, set his own destiny, even if it means flying your life straight into the ground or a tree or anything else. We've made it pretty far along in life with our own vision. We've controlled everything. But there's going to come a time in our life where we're going to hit some bad weather. We're going to hit some tough spots. And at that point, we have to pick up the microphone and say, I need help. The reason we don't do this it's because we don't trust God. And I've added that in because I think this is probably the thing that maybe is, is what keeps us from admitting our need for help is because we don't trust God. And we would say, I don't really trust anything, right? And so it's not really God's fault. I don't, I don't trust. And I would say, that's not true. You trust things all the time, things you don't even know. Uh, Kelly and I were up in Oregon, and, and uh, I forgot about this because it's been 17 years so I was back in, in, in my hometown, but there's these logging trucks, massive logging trucks, and they're going down these windy roads and stuff, and it's really annoying when you're going up a hill because they're slow, and you're trying to get around them. And inevitably what happens is the, the guy driving the logging truck, he'll stick his hand out the window because he can see up ahead, you're behind it. He'll stick his hand out the window and, and kind of motion you around that it's safe, you can pass. And I trust him, right? I'm like, oh, then it must be safe. Never mind the fact, I don't know that guy. I don't know if he's drunk. I don't know if he's, I mean, all I see is a big burly hand sticking out the window saying, come on, sucker, you know, like, and I just go. I go around and I, I trust that guy that I don't even know. And you know, but I don't trust anybody. <laughs> this afternoon, when you leave here, you're going to go to a restaurant and a teenager is going to hand you your food. And there's going to be some trust involved in that transaction. <laughs> and you don't even know that kid, but you trust him, right? And so what happens oftentimes is we get into this place where we're like, I, don't, I just can't trust God. I can't trust the one who created me, who knows me more than anyone. I can't trust that guy, but I'll trust the teenager bringing me my food. We trust all the time, but we actually have this opportunity to put all of our trust in him. And that's what I'm asking us to do as we go through this process towards freedom, is to consciously give control and care of our life to our creator. And you say, well, I've, I've allowed God a beachhead in my life, Ryan. He's got a presence in my life. Okay, great but does he have control over everything? Well, over most things. 
No, what this step of recovery requires is control and care over everything. And it's going to be hard. But it's going to be right. We may not have all of the problems solved or all of the answers, but it's right. And that's what I want to pray with you about today. Father, we surrender our life to you today. God, I can't speak for every person in this room this morning to say, oh, we all just, we all just collectively give you control and care of our life. I wish I could, but I can't. This is a personal decision. And for some who have been here the past couple of weeks and, and maybe even experienced a little bit of this prompting, like, I know that this is the year that God wants to deal with this in my life. Maybe they're afraid this morning because they know it needs to be done. They know it's the right thing to do. But there's fear, there's pride, there's worry, there's all of those things that are keeping us from it. And today, God, I would pray that you would give us the wisdom, the strength, and the surrender to give everything to you today. Just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, listen, there's some in here, most likely, most of us in this room have given God a beachhead in our life. We've, we've allowed him a presence in our life. I can look around the room and say probably most of us have done that, but there might be some of you who have never, ever allowed God a presence in your life. You may believe in God, but Scripture says that every, not everybody, but that the, even the, the demons believe in God. Right, so we're not talking just about that, like I, I know that a God exists, but like does he have a presence in your life? And that you've never reached up and, and grabbed his hand and, and say, God, I give complete care and control over to you. I want to pray with you if that's you because we would never want a Sunday to go by and you not have that life-changing experience in your life where your creator says, come to me and I will give you rest. So if that's you this morning, I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you'd just be so bold to raise your hand and say, Ryan, that's me. I'm, I'm the one looking around the room and, and no one else is and I just want to pray with you and agree with you today. If that's you, would you just right now where you're sitting, raise your hand and say, Ryan, that's me. I want to surrender control and care of my life over to God. Anybody saying that today? Okay, good. I see your hand. Anybody else? If I can't see it, just raise it up. I think I saw a hand go up over here. Anybody else? Yeah, I see your hand. Yep, okay, See both of your hands. Listen, everybody, this isn't just an, an exercise that we do out of ritual at the end of a service, but we do it because we believe that the God of the universe changes us. And that we, when we come to a place of surrender and control, we get to experience true freedom. God, for these who have raised their hand, one, two, three, four, five, I think, five or six, I'm just going to give you the language because honestly, just as I said before, I can't, I can't pray this for you. I can't, in your, I can't just 
convince your heart to surrender care and control over to God. That's something only we can do individually, but I can help you with some of the language as we've talked about this morning. And, and it's just something like this. God, today, I receive your son as my savior. I am not God, and I recognize that you are. And today, I may not understand all of who you are or what this journey is going to entail, but today, because it's the right thing, I give you care and control of my life. I am tired of doing this on my own, and today I surrender to you. Forgive me for living my life on my own. And give me your grace in Jesus' name. And the promise is that he does. That he sent his son to die on the cross so that you could be forgiven for all of your past, present, and future sin. That's the God we serve. And you have been forgiven if that's been your prayer today. God, for the rest of us, We may have you in our life, but it's a struggle every day to wake up and say, God, you have control of my life. To every day say, God, you have it all, all of it. And I recognize that your yoke is easy, your burden is light, and all of the stuff that I'm carrying on my shoulders, I give to you today. And God, whatever you have for me, I'm in. For all of us, let that be our heart and our prayer moving forward in Jesus' name. Amen.